Well, happy Mother's Day and welcome to Seabreeze, everyone. We're glad you've joined us today. In this message series, we are looking at the practical implications of what it means to be a Christian. And our guide is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, which starts with the two words, if, then. The idea that follows is if you are a Christian, then this is what is true of you. First of all, you have made three decisions. And then secondly, you work on three practices. And then thirdly, you have access to three power sources, three sets of three for a total of nine identifiers of a Christ follower. First of all are the decisions. The three decisions in the beginning of this passage are identified by three words that all begin with the same letter. The letter is W, and they precede the name of Christ in these first four verses. Decision number one is you decide to be with Christ. With is the first W word. You attach your life to His, and you do this by asking Him to be your Savior, the one to forgive you from your sins, and to be your Lord, the one who will guide you into the future. And then the second decision is you decide to live for the agenda of heaven because that's where Christ is. The things that are valuable in the eyes of God, the things that, are, that matter in heaven, begin to change what's valuable to you here on earth because you're living for the agenda of heaven, which is where Christ is. The third decision is you decide to wait for the day when Christ shows up to make everything right. You realize that today may not work out, this year may not work out, my life may not work out as I want it to work out. You would prefer that to happen, but if it doesn't, you're okay because you realize that every wrong will not be made right until Christ returns. And so you're willing to wait for when, the third W, when Christ returns. Now, these three decisions have practical implications. So authentic Christians begin to rearrange the daily practices of their life. The, the key word in this next set of verses is the word put. They put the details of their life in a different place. And there are three put words. Number one, the old practices of making an idol out of something that is here are put to death. Number two, the old practices of using anger and deception to manipulate people to get what you want out of them are put off or put away. And then number three, the practical exercises of love are put on. Now, even if you've made these three decisions and you are beginning to work on these three practices, you will discover that it's still pretty easy to get off track. And the reason is that you and I have a past with deep ruts and deep patterns to them, and they don't yield just because we decide that they should. And we now have an invisible enemy that, quite honestly, we are unmatched for. But thankfully, Christ is more powerful than your past and more powerful than Satan, your enemy. But in order for the power of Christ to be of any use to you or to me, we will need to let His power have access to our daily life. The key word in this last section of this passage is the word let. The three let phrases are kind of like a three-pronged plug that we use to access the three forms of Christ's power in our life. These are the three phrases. We let rule Christ's peace. Then secondly, we let dwell Christ's Word. And then lastly, we let live Christ's name. Now these three address the three most common ways we tend to short-circuit the power of Christ in our life and we get off track or we get stuck. Number one, we tend to worry and worry just takes over our mind and takes over our emotions and it 
it derails us. Or number two, we believe some lie and and we begin to waste our days and our time pursuing something that just isn't going to last and isn't really true. Or number three, we become arrogant and we turn selfish and we forget that we are living for Christ and not for ourselves. And any of these three can derail an authentic Christian. And so part of being a Christian is, is you have to plug in again and again and again into these three power sources to begin to get moving and to begin to get traction again. Today we're going to address the second source of power, and that is the power of Christ's words. Here's what it says in Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What it's saying here is is let the words of Christ become your home. Let them dwell in you richly. Now, what's true of your home? Well, it's the foundation from which you live, from which the rest of your life originates. I mean, it was in a home where you grew up and you learned the patterns that shape how you live. That's why these parents were up on stage here with these little ones. They're saying that they want to create a home environment that that helps their children learn the patterns of what it means to follow Christ. It'll be a huge advantage for them. Maybe you did not have that advantage, and you're living with a different set of patterns. But we all were raised in a home, and we've learned patterns from that home. And now for us, home is where we go to rest. It's where we go to recharge so that we can go out and face another day. And if there are problems at home, it eventually affects every other part of our life. So for the Christian, what this is saying is the words of Christ need to become your new home, your new dwelling, the new foundation from which you go out and live your life. And it is to be a rich home. The words of Christ are not to be some shed out back where you store stuff that you never use. It's supposed to be something that you have invested heavily in, and it is now home for you. It's where you go to reorient, it's where you go to refocus, where you recharge, and where you learn your patterns so that you can go out and live a different kind of life. But how does that occur? Well, there's three ways that happens. First of all, is by learning Christ's words. Learning Christ's words. If the words of Christ are going to become a home for us, they need to go from here into here. They need to go from words on a page to words that we read and words that we understand. Now, this is my personal copy of the words of Christ. And actually, in this version, the words of Christ are in red ink. So when it says the words of Christ, am I just supposed to read the red words and ignore all of the black words? There's more black words in this book than red words. The red words are just the words of Christ that he spoke while he walked this earth. Now, all of these words are the words of Christ. The black words are really the largest portion, and and most of them precede the red words, the words that Christ spoke when he was here. But to understand the red words, you need to understand the black words more fully. Because the black words are, are kind of like the foundation of all that Christ did and what he taught and said. It's kind of like the foundation for this building. It took months to do all of the site work and get the foundation prepared. It only took probably about a week and a half, two weeks for the external structure of this building to be put together. It was a much longer period of time and a much greater number of words that preceded the words of Christ that he spoke when he was here, but they're foundational words. And then after the red words, there's 
some more explanation, not a lot, but some explanation that help us more fully understand what Jesus was teaching. So all of the words that are in the Bible are to be the words that, that form a dwelling for us, a place where we live from lavishly. Now, I want to show you the, this roll of plans. These are some of the plans that were used in the construction of this building. And I don't, don't want to unroll all of these. You wouldn't be able to see them, so we'll just project a couple of them here. Here's one. Uh, this is the uh, side view of what this building looked like on one of the pages of the plan here. Now, to be honest, when I look through the, the plans, they don't make a lot of sense to me. And that's because I haven't put in the time that is required to learn how to read construction plans and documents. Now, I can get a basic idea by looking at them. You know, well, maybe not that page. I wouldn't get much of an idea. But the page before, you can see, okay, I can see the outline of the building. This one, if you read details, it's like, I think this is this one little place where this beam connects, but I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. And this is how the Bible really appears to most people. They, they read it or they hear it, and, and they can pick up a few general ideas from the Bible, but not enough for them to know, well, how do I build a life with this? In order to do that, it, it takes time. Now, it's not that the words of the book are impossible to understand. They're understandable. They're in English, just like these plans are in English. That's not the barrier. The barrier is that it just takes time to learn, like it does these documents, turn these into a building, it takes time to learn how to take God's words and turn that into a life. Now, we tend to think of words as the conveyors of ideas. You know, if, if I have an idea in my mind and I'm wanting to get it into your mind, I use words to transfer the ideas from my mind to your mind. That is largely what we use words for. And if we can turn our words into reality, well, then what started out as an idea then becomes more powerful. It, it takes shape in, in reality. But God's words are different than our words in that they start out as reality. They are reality. God speaks, and it is. We speak, and it might become, but it might not. It is God's words that initiate everything. These are the first words of God recorded in the Bible, Genesis 1-3. This is what it says. And God said, God spoke. What did he say? Let there be light. What happened? And there was light. We can't do that. We speak and people either don't understand what we're saying or they don't want to do what we're saying and we've got to try to convince them. But God says, let there be light. Boom, there's light. If God had remained silent, there would be no light. There would be no matter. There would be no universe. There would be no you. There'd be no me. You know, scientists have given a great deal of thought about how the universe came to be like it is. There's a lot of different ideas, looking back and looking at the evidence, trying to figure out how did things come to be. But everyone agrees on one point. Something big and something we don't really understand, something mysterious happened at the beginning. Well, the Bible identifies that big something as God's words. God spoke and it happened. Now, God not only speaks words that create reality, He also speaks words that explain who He is and who we are. And these are the types of words that are found in the pages of the Bible. The words in the Bible are, are like the architectural plans about how to build a life that pleases God and is a blessing to us. Now, we are free to construct any life that we want. 
But a building that is constructed without plans turns out to be very different than one that's built with plans. One can stand earthquakes and weather, and the other one you probably wouldn't even want to live in if people are just making it up as they go along. And it's the same when it comes to our life. So when we read the pages of the Bible, we're not just reading interesting stories and hearing some good advice for us to consider. We are looking at the building plans that God has given us for the purpose of building the kind of life that lasts and can be a good home for us and be a blessing to to other people. But like all building plans, these words require more than just an occasional glance. Like any set of plans, they're just going to sit there. They won't build themselves. The words of Christ must be let inside. And so that's why authentic Christians put in the time over the years to learn these words. It's often in 15-minute increments or maybe 30-minute increments or one-hour increments. But as they keep chipping away at this, as they keep reading more and figuring out more and learning more, as the years go by, they understand more and more and more of this. You know, this fall here at Seabreeze, we're offering a training program to help you grow in your understanding of the Bible. It's called Horizon. And what it's involving is just a few, probably three or four one-hour meetings a month and a small amount of homework in between the meetings. And the focus of this training primarily is to equip you to understand how to use the Bible to build a life from. So I want to encourage you to take advantage of this this fall. And as you see this summer, more information, the opportunity to sign up, go ahead and do that. But you see, to the authentic Christian, the Bible is their blueprint for life. They're they're construction documents for how to make decisions and how to build a life day by day and decision by decision. So authentic Christians put in the time. Their effort goes up and down, but over time, they consistently put in the time to learn Christ's words. Then secondly, we build a life based on these words then by using Christ's words. It's not enough just to learn them. We actually have to build with them. You know, does this roll of plans look like a home to you? No, it's just plans. Does does the Bible look like a, a home or a dwelling? No, it's the same. It's just words, ink on paper. So when did those plans become a home for us as a church? Well, it was when we started using them to build with. It's the same with the pages of the Bible. Descriptions in the Bible about how to structure your thoughts and how to structure your life and how to do relationships and how to build this part of your life will not become a home until you begin to build with them. Then it's internalized. Well, well, how do you do this exactly? Well, in this verse, it describes the overall goal for using the words of Christ and the two activities, the actions that are required. It says, teaching and admonishing, those are the two actions, one another, in all wisdom. That's the goal. The ultimate goal of using Christ's words to build a life is that you would become wise. Wisdom means to to do what is right in the moment, in real time. And that's different than knowledge. Many people approach the Bible from a knowledge base, but the goal of God's words is wisdom, not just knowledge. It's not enough to know. You know, knowledge shows up on a written test. 
That's why the, the root of the word knowledge is no. You know. You, you can get the answers right. You would identify the facts correctly. You know the right answers. But wisdom is not, does not show up on a test, a paper. It shows up in real life. The test is the life you construct. So like in construction, we build a life day by day, choice by choice. We don't just cram and get ready for a test and whew, now we know enough. No, we're always on the front line of wisdom, making our decisions. Is this the right thing to do or is that the right thing to do? Now, if we're going to become wise and build a home and life out of the words in this book, it, it will require these two actions, teaching and admonishing. Let's first of all begin with teaching. You know, there are two parts to the teaching equation. There's the student part, and then there's the teacher part. First of all, the student part. If, if we're going to become at home with these words, we need to be students of these words. We, we need to hear and learn about God's words from other people. And it really helps if you can learn from some people that maybe are a little further ahead on building their life by these words. That's why there is a teaching component when we gather here on Sunday. Or that's why we offer training like the Horizon thing coming up this fall. Th these are practical tools and tips about how to turn these words into a life, how to build with them. But if all you do is sit and listen to someone else teach about God's Word, you're not going to get very far. You need to also get on the other side of the teaching equation and be able to teach them yourself. Now, don't get nervous. You don't have to be able to stand up in front of a group like I do and teach on Sundays. But if, if you're taking the words of Christ out of the Bible and you're using them to build a life with, you will, over time, be able to help others understand and how to build with these words. I mean, who knows the material better, the teacher or the student? The teacher always knows the material better. The teacher has to spend a lot more time getting familiar with the material and using the material before they're able to help someone else learn it and implement it in their life. For example, I'm the teacher in this setting right now. And I've taught so far on these verses over just the last several Sundays, I've taught about a total of three hours on these. And so if you've been here for all of these three Sundays, you've been a student, you've listened for three hours. But it takes a lot more time for me to get ready to teach than it does for you to get ready to, li to listen. You just have to show up and sit down and try to gather your mind. I've had to put a lot more time into this. I mean, this all began for me. These 17 verses began years ago, probably about 10 years ago, when I, I was intrigued by these 17 verses. And I decided, you know what? I want to figure these out. I want, I want these to become a dwelling that I'm comfortable with and that I understand. And so I began, first of all, by memorizing them. I mean, that took me probably about three months, just a little bit of a time to, to memorize them. And then I spent all total over the course of the next two years or so, about 100 hours in just personal time, pondering these verses in 30-minute increments, 30 minutes at a time in the morning before I went off to work. This was not part of my job. This is just, was just my personal time. I was just interested in these. I never thought it was beginning to come something that I would teach on. But these 17 verses became, after those two years, they became like a comfortable den for me. I mean, I, I love this passage. I mean, all you'd have to do is walk up to me at some point and say, if then... And a smile would break out of my face. 
If I'm thinking about something else, you might have to just go a little further. If then you've been raised with Christ, then I'd be on track. But as soon as, you, as, soon as I know we're talking about these 17 verses, to me it's like, it's like recalling favorite childhood memories from growing up. It's a home for me. I love these verses. I come back to them again and again and again to get my thinking and my life back on track. So how about you? Do you have any part of Scripture that is home for you? I mean, you don't have to maybe spend as much time as I did. I'm a little slow. It took me a while to figure these out. Maybe you're faster. But pick some part of God's Word and build a den out of it. Be able to explain it to somebody else because you've spent so much time figuring it out and learning how to do it yourself. You see, the parts of Christ's Word that you are at home with, you can explain clearly to others. Not standing up in a formal way like this, but in an informal way. So teaching, and then secondly is admonishing. This means to correct someone. Now, this is not talking about becoming the Bible police and telling everybody what they're doing wrong. That's not what this is saying. Remember, this is to be done with all wisdom, and that's not wise. People are not interested in being told what they're doing wrong and being told what exact verse in the Bible references the wrong that they're doing. That's not helpful. But the idea is to get yourself prepared to be able to help people with their problems when they're ready to be helped. You see, life by itself has a way of providing all kinds of correction in the form of personal pain. And when people are in pain, they're trying to figure out what's going on, what's happening. How can I avoid this pain in the future? Why did it happen? And if you've experienced maybe the same kind of pain and you've learned what the Bible has to say about that pain, you can be a tremendous help. But only if you know what the truth is. I mean, just think of the problems that you've had and you have now. Think of the problems that others around you have. Do you know what the Bible has to say about those problems? Do you know where the answers are? If not, that's okay. Don't feel bad, but find them. Don't be comfortable saying, yeah, it's in there somewhere. Where? Find them. If you need help, ask from someone that maybe knows a little more than you. Hey, do you know where the answers are for this question? Work on it. Get ready to be of help when someone in your life is open. Now, notice it doesn't say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, reading it in all wisdom. No, it says teaching and admonishing, and here's the key phrase, one another. The idea is we are to have conversations about the words of Christ. Why not just read it privately? I mean, we should do that. That's part of learning them. But why the teaching and why the admonishing? Why, why the one another component? Well, you see, if reading this book would change us, we could do it all by ourselves. If you could just sit down and read the Bible and it would automatically change you, then you would have to go no further than just learning. It would be automatic. But this cannot be done individually. We have to be in relationships to one another in order to teach, in order to admonish. Now, if we're just trying to learn the facts, you can do that by yourself. You can learn from a teacher that you don't really know by listening to them online or on TV or on the radio, and that's fine. You can learn some stuff. But if wisdom is the goal, 
if learning how to build your life is the goal, and not just facts about the Bible that you can get the answer right on some test, well, then you're going to learn more from someone whose life you actually know, who has used these words to build with it. You watch someone on TV or you listen to someone on radio or you listen to a podcast, you don't know anything about their life. They could be a fraud, they could be a lie, or they could be great, you just don't know. This is why we, we teach and admonish one another, people we know, we, we have relationships with, because then we can say, oh, here's, this person has built the kind of marriage that I would like to learn how to build. This person has built the kind of family life that I would learn how to build. Well, none of us are perfect, but if you know people over time, you can tell whether or not they're using these words to really build, whether they've got wisdom or not, knowledge about how to build life out of this book. You know, the construction workers that built this, this facility, how did they learn how to do this? Did they just watch some YouTube videos and read a book and go to a few classes. They probably did some of that, but there was no way we were going to let them on this site just having watched some YouTube videos. How, how do construction workers learn how to construct a building? They are apprenticed. What does that mean? They are put under individuals who know how to build, who can teach them and admonish. No, that's not how we do that in the real act of building. This book is not an education, not an academic book. It is an apprenticeship book. You can learn, but you can't build without help. You need wisdom. Now, if the Bible is just an academic book to learn from, then it doesn't matter where you get the information. I mean, you can go to one church on Sunday because you really like this message series, and then you can go to attend a separate Bible study at another church on Tuesday, and then you can go to some different church the following Sunday, and you can listen to some guy on the radio, and you'll pick up knowledge, but not wisdom. You'll learn stuff, but you will not grow wise. Because that person isn't speaking into your life. You don't even know who that person is, really. So God does not mature us individually. He puts us together in churches to move his mission in this world forward, and it's on those teams that God grows our wisdom. So, pick a church. If it's this one, great. If not, that's fine. Pick a church. Join it. Get around some wise people and learn how to construct a life with these words. And then the third element, and this is the most surprising for us, singing Christ's words. What? Singing Christ's words. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, this is not a separate idea. This is connected with the teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So the one another continues singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, you don't want me singing. I have got a terrible voice, and I've been told that I can't find a pitch, and it's just ugly when I sing. It does not say performing Christ's word. It says singing Christ's words. Why? Why singing? Especially if you're a guy, you're like, yeah, I don't get singing at all anyways. 
Well, singing has the ability to get words to sink deep into our hearts. You know, my two-year-old granddaughter knows her ABCs. Now, the reason she knows her ABCs is not because she memorized the 26 letters from a list. It's because she sings the ABC song. If you ask her, Millie, can you tell me the ABC? She'll start singing. She won't start talking. She'll start singing. Now, I'd sing the first few notes, but then you wouldn't be able to get that song out of your mind. And that's the effect that singing has on our mind. I know already some of you have, are gone. You've left us. You're, uh-oh, here we go. And later this afternoon, you'll, Bevan, I can't believe you put that in my mind. That is the effect that singing can have on our mind. So if you want to make a home out of Christ's words, you've got to add the sound system. You'll make a re- re- regular habit of singing them. Now, there's three types of songs that you'll sing. Together, we will sing psalms. These are the prayers of God recorded in the Bible. Psalms is a book of the Bible in the center of the Old Testament, 150 of them. Many of the songs that we sing on Sunday come directly from the book of Psalms. But then we'll also sing hymns. These are the songs of the church that have stood the test of time. And then we'll sing spiritual songs. These are the newer songs about Christ that often reflect more current musical styles. Now, you may have a favorite. You may be a hymn person. You may be a spiritual song person. You may be a psalms person. But the point is not what your favorite song is or type of song is. The point of singing is not the style, but the words, and that we are singing to one another, that we are doing it together. The reason the point is not your favorite is because this is not a concert. If you've got a favorite type of music, well, then go to that concert. Spend good money and and be entertained by the music you love. But when you come to church, the purpose is not, oh, I don't like that song. Or, oh, good, this is one of my favorites. I really can sing to this one. No, we are doing this together. Not everyone's going to agree on every song. This is not a concert that we attend each week to be entertained. This is the one chance that we will have this week to combine the power of music with the power of Christ's words. Now, why can't we just do this alone in the car? I mean, I listen to Christian music in the car. Sometimes I actually sing along. Why can't we just do that? Well, when we sing together here on Sundays, we are delivering a powerful message to each other in song. What's the message? Well, it goes something like this. Christ is real. His words are real and true. He is worthy of our focus. He is worthy of our allegiance. We are not crazy to trust Him and follow Him. I mean, look at all of these people around you who are singing these words, who who have faith in Christ like you do. And that's important because as we go out in the world, do you run across many people that are like you deciding to follow Jesus Christ? No. So you spend a whole week in the world, and by the time you get to the end of the week, you're thinking, am I crazy? Is this true? Is this right for me to be building a life based on this because they're not and they're not and they hate these ideas. 
And so we all show up here on Sunday morning kind of banged up on the inside, kind of intimidated by the powers of this world and the ideas of this world into thinking, maybe we're idiots. Maybe we're wrong. Now, we're not going to say this out loud, but we all show up in kind of a diminished state. And then we start singing. And you look around and you realize, okay, well, at least I'm not the only crazy one. There's a few hundred other crazy people who are only here for one reason. They're either very interested in this or they've also, like me, decided this is real. This is true. These are the plans from which I'm going to build a life. And we need this every week. We need to hear these. For, you know, Just look, look at all these people who have placed their faith in Him. Listen to their voices. Let their faith in Christ lift up your faith. Now, this only occurs if you sing. If you don't open your mouth to sing, your voice will be missing from this. Now, you might be saying, you don't want to hear my voice. Okay, don't sing loudly, but at least sing. You know, if what you see as you look around are people with their mouths closed and their arms crossed, that doesn't help you. Your faith is not strengthened. Now, let me be clear. If you don't believe this yet, that's fine. Don't, don't sing. Don't feel any pressure to sing this stuff. If you don't believe this, no, don't sing it. Feel free to hang around and check it out. But if you believe this, if you've made these decisions, then open your mouth and help add your faith to ours. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing to Christ in the presence of others. And don't make the mistake of thinking that the music is just the introduction to the main attraction whenever me or someone else gets up here to speak. The music is not just to give you time to get here. I'll let that speak for itself. <laughs> I've actually thought one point, you know, I'm just going to stand up sometime the first of the hour and just start teaching. Just get everyone all confused. Now, I know that many of you are already confused because we only sang two songs at the beginning and your, your Sunday is already kind of wobbling. You're not sure what's happening and if we're even a Christian church anymore. But we need both kinds of words as we gather. We need the teaching kinds of words and we need the singing kinds of words. The plans for building a life that are contained in this book, the Bible, will just sit there. They're not going to do anything of their own. It's up to us to learn them. It's up to us to use them, to build our life with them. And it's up to us to sing them. And when we do, we gain access to the tremendous power of Christ's words. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your words. Not only your words that, that spoke what we see into existence, but your words that tell us who you are, who we are, and how we can build a life that lasts and can handle 
the earthquakes and the storms of life and can be a blessing to us and to others around us. We admit that we are so easily intimidated by the pace of our own life and by the busyness around us and by the thoughts and ideas of our world that bombard us. We tend to leave these words just sitting there, unread, unused, and unsung. And all the power that you want to apply to our lives are just, well, we're just not plugged in. Help us, we pray, to, to build with these words and to use these words and to sing these words. We pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen.